as my mother always said, if you have a business, more than likely you get paid every day. This is a story about skillets. Those huge cast iron skillets with all of that lard. Of course, they catch fire every now and then. Secrets. When we would close, people would come with trucks and raid our dumpster. Cleaning out our dumpster, trying to find what we used. And living the dream. I had a dream that I had a restaurant and people were lined up out the door, down the steps at this restaurant. And, oh, it was a beautiful dream. And I didn't tell anybody about it, but it stayed with me and I still remember it. That dream took up exactly where I left off. And that's very, very seldom that you go back to the same dream. My name is Andre Prince. I am the owner of Prince Hot Chicken Shack since 1980. But as far as my title is concerned, I do it all, from the janitor to the cook. Oh, my goodness, have mercy. From the Chase Studio at the Nashville Entrepreneur Center, this is Circle Beck, where we trace the life cycle of the startup from bright idea to big payoff. I'm your host, Clark Buckner. Andre Prince was one of the three and a half million babies born in the year of 1946 the first year of the baby boomer generation, born to parents who had worked hard and wanted better for their kids. My father worked at the post office. He was a supervisor at the downtown post office. My mother, she was a school teacher. She not, not only was a school teacher, she set such a great example, and there's no way I could touch her because she was a Girl Scout leader, a Boy Scout leader, a Sunday school teacher. She sold world book encyclopedias up and down the street, and some of her uh, customers are are still coming to me. And she said, we worked so hard as far as when she was growing up, in the fields and taking care of cattle and so forth and so on. She said, we worked so hard. I don't want you all to work as long as you're in school. As long as you stay in school, I will take care of you. She told my brother that also. She believed in buying property, and she believed in having a business. If my father had listened to her, we would have been filthy rich people. When I first got married, I stayed at home for three years. I was in school at Tennessee State. I stayed at home three years, and my former husband, we were living in an apartment. He said, if you want to have a house, you're going to have to go to work. 
I said, huh? I'd never worked before. My parents didn't push us to work. They definitely took very good care of us. And it's a, it's a wonder we're not spoiled rotten. But uh, they tried to, especially my mother, give us everything that was within reason. It was mind-boggling that I had to go to work. But, uh, okay, I'm going to quit school. I'm going to go to work. My first job was at the North Branch YMCA that was being organized on 14th and Jefferson Street. That was a great experience. And from there, my former husband said, you're going to have to make more money. So I told somebody who was on the board at the YMCA that I needed more money in order to acquire a house. And they were dirt cheap back then. I still went to work. He suggested I go to work, go and get an interview with Clifford Allen, which I did, nervous wreck. Got the job, couldn't believe it. And hey, from there, 10 years. Have mercy. Work turned out to be a natural fit. Her marriage, not so much. At 34, Andre found herself divorced with two children. And of course, my father said, as long as you never get married again, I will support you. Before we move ahead, I need to rewind back to the early days of her father's family, the Prince family. In 1936, my great uncle started cooking spicy chicken on the corner of 28th and Jefferson Street. One man's misbehavior. Oh, you don't want to know about Uncle Thornton would turn into an icon in Nashville cuisine. We were all in love with Uncle Thornton. It's a lot of womanizers in my family. (laughs) (laughs) Uncle Thornton was married five times, so you can imagine. I remember him as a child being very tall, good-looking, the prettiest, prettiest white hair. Very jovial. He was a people person. Especially if the people were beautiful women. More than likely, Uncle Thornton probably stayed out a little bit later than he was supposed to. The only time that most families got together was on Sunday mornings. Everything out of the refrigerator went on the table. Everything, all leftovers were on the table, at least it was in my family. Fried chicken, that was a must at every meal, fried chicken on Sunday mornings. 
with him being such a womanizer. The lady friend, more than likely, was angry. Back then, women didn't voice their opinions. They acted it out. She had to let him know how she felt. Mad, angry. She wanted revenge. As the phrase goes, vengeance is a dish that's served cold. But in this case, maybe not. Well, we don't know what she put on that chicken, but whatever it was, it was hot to get his attention and to let him know that she was still around. And by the time it settled on his tongue, he liked it and he shared it with his friends. So they liked it. So the word of mouth, we didn't have advertisements back then. Kentucky has its colonel. Nashville has its prince. It was then called Barbecue Chicken Shack, but the chicken was never barbecued. And as a child, with my father bringing it home late on Saturday nights, looking for that greasy brown bag, on the stove early on Sunday morning when my mother would get us up for Sunday school and hoping and praying that we'd get a taste of that chicken. From that spicy Sunday surprise, a business was born. We would pass by there on Charlotte but and see all the cars parked in the front and on the side everywhere. And they would say, hey, there's the chicken shack. Growing up, Andre would taste the chicken, but barely got a glimpse at the shack. We had only been down there twice, never when it was open. Never did we go when it was open. We only went down there for uh, holiday affairs like Christmas or Thanksgiving where family, family assembled. They cooked it in cast iron, huge cast iron skillets. I remember seeing them as I passed through the kitchen when my grandfather or my father would take us down there those two times I went. I remember going through the kitchen, front door, through the kitchen, a little tiny kitchen, and there was a green room in the back. With a large, huge fan, I remember that. It was a jukebox back there. And I said, wow, where did this room come from? Because we didn't know about this room. And it had a side entrance or a back entrance in the back of the building. And it was reserved, I was told, in a nice, kind way, for... The Caucasians, I'd say, who came in from the Grand Ole Opry through their private, they had a little private entrance, came in through the back, and of course they could have come in through the front, 
because we didn't discriminate. <laughs> they could come in either way. But that was their room because segregation was practiced then. It was rumored to be a hangover cure. And with the drinking going on, hey, it sobered you up because they liked it hot and spicy. So the word got around where to go. When the Grand Ole Opry was over, whatever time it was over, they'd all pile in down there. Have mercy, because, you know, very few I recognize. But anyway. You might call the shack an early version of the after party. They gonna find it. Whether it's way back out in the country, you gonna find it. (laughs) And they have, always. I can say now, We've always had more white customers than black customers. That's the secret of Nashville. From the proverbial frying pan into the fire. How do you take over a restaurant business when you don't know how to cook? Scary. Scary. I sold raw chicken (laughs) to my customers who continued to come. One day, one summer day, we were all out of school. Mama said, she called me sister. She said, sister, came to the screen door. Come in here. Uh Uh-oh. You didn't let mama say anything three times, but the third time, you were really going to have to go and get your switch. But anyway, she was in the kitchen of our little small home, and she said, sister, I want to teach you how to cut up a chicken. I was about no more than 11 or 12, 10, 11 or 12. I said, cut up a chicken? I mean, mind you, I didn't cook. Never cooked at home. And go from side to side, cutting out the breast quarter, cutting off the legs, cutting the wings off of that chicken. I did that, and she instructed me to, even though I thought it was weird that she was asking me to do this. I cut that chicken into, I think, eight pieces. She said, now you can go back outside. Why didn't Mama tell me to do that? I guess I was in there no more than 30 minutes. I went back outside and never cut up a chicken until I got to the chicken shack. That would be the extent of her training, preparation for taking over a very important family tradition. Let me go down the line. My great uncle Thornton Prince, my grandfather's brother, had it until he passed. When he passed, his brother, Will Prince, took over. When Will Prince passed, his wife, Maud Prince, took over. But Maud never really ran the business. She hired her cousin, Bolton Polk. He had it when Maud no longer wanted 
the responsibility of the business, she told my mother, who was in the hospital dying of cancer at the time, if she knew someone in the family that could take over this business. Someone had to do it. My father took me to Aunt Ma's house to sign the papers for the restaurant. I had to up some money. At least my parents did. <laughs> it was easy. I didn't have any money. Have mercy. I stepped forward. I took a chance. I lost sight from shore. They say that's what faith is, stepping out on faith. You lose sight of the shore. I opened up at 6 p.m. I think it was on a Wednesday. Like any cautious entrepreneur, Andre kept her day job. After we would uh, close at the tax assessor's office at 4 or 4.30, I would go home, change clothes, and be at the shack by probably 5.30 and ready to open by 6, depending on who would show up. And there were two people in particular who showed up and stayed. My sister, who was a school teacher at Hillwood High School, sent one of her students, Michael Alexander. He always wanted to be in the restaurant business. So he was going back and forth, back and forth, between jobs, he would always still come down there and work. And I inform you that Michael Alexander is now my manager. He stayed with me. Mario Hamburg came to me as a little boy. I was a nervous wreck. He came in. He lived in Dodge City. He came in, and he was standing at the counter. I was in the, in the kitchen just going around in circle because nobody had shown up. Michael hadn't gotten there yet. And I saw a little boy standing out front at the counter. Didn't hear him come in. Mario said, do you have any work for me to do? I'll always remember those words. It's like a song in my ear. From that day forward, Mario Hambry is still with me. Eight years old, he lived in Dodge City. He never missed a day. And I think about that so often. He has been my angel. You know, that's in the Bible. A child shall lead them. And he has led me all the way. <laughs> Kicking and screaming. As soon as I took over, I, I changed the name to Prince because that was my desire. That is still my goal, to try to keep something in the family. The reputation was already there. So all I did was step in and try to pick up where they had left off <laughs> and learn how to cook that chicken. <laughs> Maud gave me the recipe. There would be some carefully considered changes, even to the sacred family recipe. Back then, the recipe was the mild chicken. And that, that stayed a long time. The mild was the only way it was sold. I started the different variations over time. 
plain, mild, medium, hot, extra hot. But a lot of the women, we just couldn't get it hot enough. More women eat it hot than men. It's amazing. Men will try it. They don't want to be a wimp. But more women eat it hot. Much later on, uh, inspired by Mario to do wings, because wings were the cheapest thing you could get. The cheapest. Now it's the highest. Everybody's doing wings. How mercy. I started just at my customer's suggestion, slowly, because basically we haven't added too much. We didn't do french fries then. But again, Mario Hambrick, I think we should have french fries. Oh, no, we just had baked beans and potato salad. We tried it. Customers liked it. Mario is now 45 years old. He's still telling me what to do. The shack had always leased its locations, never owning a property. And it wasn't necessarily by choice. Well, you got to get the money first. We never made loans. We just recently started making loans. Everything was come in, go out, and whatever was left, you used it for your living expenses. But, uh, you know, you had to get those supplies in, and you had to pay for that chicken. One person offered to loan us some money. When they approached us with loaning us this money, in exchange for the recipe, that was mind-boggling. It was good money, big money. So we said, no, we'll keep on chucking along. And safeguarding that secret, well, that's another story. People would come with trucks and raid our dumpster. We would see it. Cleaning out our dumpster, trying to find what we used. Prince's is no longer the only hot chicken game in town. Far from it. Had the bees have been coming. I've been knowing Mr. Bishop and his son for a long time. They've been coming to the chicken shack. You're not going to be in the hot chicken business without coming to us. The root. <laughs> They've been coming to the chicken shack. They're everywhere, but I'm not envious of them. I'm not envious of them. They just, hey, they got the money. They got loans we couldn't get. (laughs) And I'm sure they still are. Like I said, I just want one place, one good place. To heck with all the copycats. I'm just glad that they've been watching me all along. Money is not everything. No, tell me where I would be if I were just interested in the money. I am interested in quality. Time and again, Andre Prince has credited her success to word of mouth. And when the word is coming from the mouth of the mayor, it gets around. Mayor Purcell, who was always a customer, I met him one day. And he talked to me. He's a totally a people person. 
He was always down there, always getting a leg hot. You couldn't get it hot enough for him. When he became mayor, he was still coming, having his meetings there, bringing everybody that came to town there. I think he served two terms as mayor. When he became left uh, being mayor of Nashville, went to Harvard, he was over the Kennedy Center, he decided to do research on hot chicken. And after the research, he came down and told me that he had found out that we were the first in the country to do chicken hot on a commercial basis as far as his research went. And I'm sure it was pretty extensive. When the word got out to all the leading newspapers in the country and to all the leading magazines, wow, it was overwhelming to me. I really felt like a movie star. And he's the one that started the Hot Chicken Festival 16 years ago in East Nashville at East Park. And people came from everywhere. All over, outside the United States. I had offers from everywhere. Come and open up your business. Purpose from the start. To keep a little mom and pop place in the family. Big business. Billion, billion, billionaires are taking over everything. Where is our voice? Well, like I said, we've had plenty of celebrities come in. Barack Obama, who sent his Secret Service person down there, and I, of course, I we didn't know. You don't let people know. The late uh, John J. Hooker, who would come down there with his a gentleman's hat on and his, of course, his famous suit on and sit down there in a chair and just wait for hours. The Today Show has filmed down there uh, Trisha Yearwood. I couldn't believe it. Jerry Seinfeld, oh yes. I'm totally indebted to uh, Shaquille O'Neal who's been there three times. Very generous. He sent word to the cash registers, to the cashiers, taking orders that he's paying for everybody's meal. And of course, they were calling their friends and telling them the Shaquille O'Neal is here paying for everybody. And now they were just trying. It was just a, a people traffic jam. Have mercy. Well, yes. I have to admit. He eats plain chicken. He's a wimp. I told him he's a wimp. He eats plain chicken. He's afraid of that chicken. He tried it, but uh uh-uh. Spicy chicken he does not eat. There have been plenty of big names, but the most important one is Prince, the family name that Andre returned to her business, the name that will no doubt continue this tradition till the end. I have two daughters, two years apart. 
They're now 55 and 57 almost. Mario Hambrick, I can't give him enough to. Michael Alexander being my first cook. I just wanted them to have the recognition. As my mother always said, people are going to eat. People have to eat. No matter what business you're in, you got to be fed. To me, success is having peace of mind. That's success to me. Of course, you have regrets, something you didn't do along the way, learning as you go with life's many transitions. But if you can go to bed and sleep, you have no idea the many people who say they cannot sleep. I don't care how much money they have. They said, I can't sleep. Wow. Being able to lay your head down without fear, looking around, watching who's around you, and saying, this has been a mighty good day. You've been listening to Circle Back. To subscribe, visit ec.co slash circle back and follow, rate, and review the show anywhere you get your podcasts. Circle Back is made possible by the generous support of the Beth and Randy Chase family. Also, thank you to our media partner, Nashville Post. Keep your pulse on all things Nashville business and more by subscribing to their newsletter at nashvillepost.com. And a shout out to our friends at Lightning 100 for supporting the show. A big thanks to our team from our creator and executive producer, Greg Allen. Script writing by Demetria Kaladimos. And a big thank you to the rest of the EC staff. I'm Clark Buckner, and we'll see you soon on another episode of Circle Back.